Hey everybody, it is episode 11 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris. As always, Steve is joining me. Hey Steve. Hey, hey. Today we are continuing our series on mental training. We started this series in episode 6, teeing up our framework for mental training. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to it first. Today we're going to be talking about the first component of mental, mental training that we talk about in that framework, which is how do you develop your battle plan for your mental approach? And that includes four different sub points that we're going to talk about, and we're going to dive into those in detail. As Steve and I have prepped for this one, admittedly, we probably have more content than we have time for. So be patient with us. We're going to work through as much as we can in about an hour. And then if we have to come back and just tack on another episode to the series, we will. So stay tuned to see how that plays out. Yeah, no more hour and twenty minute episodes. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't want to keep that the- that theme going. Right, we're trying to keep keep uh, your time is valuable. We know, so we're trying to keep it to an hour. Before we dive into that first chunk on mental training, we're going to talk about, as always, some current events. And this past weekend in Austin, we had the big running event and running weekend of the year, which is our Austin Marathon. We teed that up with our episode on Austin Marathon strategy. And so we want to talk a little bit about the results. First of all, it was a difficult, difficult day. I ran myself, so I know know firsthand how it was, but the conditions were the worst I've seen in person for a marathon. It was 70 degrees at the start and 95% humidity. And, And it pretty much stayed that way. It only got warmer the rest of the day. Plus, you had a tough headwind in the final six miles as you were heading back towards the finish. so Yeah, in the late hilly section going up North Loop, the, the, yeah. the wind was right in your face. It was brutal. Yeah, we commonly call that a shit show. It's <laughs> as about as bad as it can get, for sure. The only saving grace was the sun did not burst out of the clouds, right. at least not for those folks who were who were trying to get under four hours. I, I'm not sure how if it came out after that, but it was epically terrible day. I was standing at the... Uh, at about the eight-mile marker, just as people are going up Veterans, which is a short, steep hill before they head into the flat, the, the first and just about only flat section of the race, and uh, it was shrapnel and people suffering immensely even there. Um, it was looking like it was going to be a long, long day for many, and then I, and then I popped over to the 20-mile marker, and oh my goodness, it <laughs> was it was really a, a tough day, a tough day. But you know, the, the, the event was well put on by High Five Events. I think they did a great job of managing it. I talked to the uh, race director, Jack Murray, um, afterwards, and he said uh, he was so happy to have dodged the bullet that, they had su- that we had Sunday night. Anybody that lives in Central Texas and was here Sunday night, we had the mother of all storms that blew through, and if that had hit the night before they would it would have been a really would have been maybe better weather for all the runners but it would have been very difficult tactically to do it so yeah it was brutal I was out there I ran a fairly conservative first half so I was able to unlike many actually pick it up over the last half and I was passing a lot of people like they were standing still in the closing miles and and it was tough but we had a good day for some rogues we'll start with the women's side as we predicted our own Allison Maxis of Rogue Expeditions and formerly of Rogue AC won the women's side. She slayed it. I would with, call that a slaying. Yeah, she slayed it with pretty much no pressure at all. She came through the halfway seven minutes up on second place and then finished with a 10-minute lead in a 248. 
Although for Allison, we know the finish was brutal. Yes. She, she told me she told me the day after that the only thing kept her going was that she had the camera in her face because <laughs> FlowTrack was filming the whole thing and she couldn't stop because people <laughs> were watching on live stream. I imagine the check that she got to hold up later probably yeah. also the was two, in a, The two in grand helping. Help, but she ran a 121 first half and a 127 second Ooh. half. So so it was it was tough for her at, at the finish. Second place went to uh, one Caroline Veltry from Central Park Track Club, and she ran a 258. She wasn't on our elite list when we got it a month ago, and so she must have joined that list late. But she had a relatively solid result. She ended up coming through halfway in about 128, and so she had a slight positive split, but mm-hmm. but it wasn't too bad, just a couple minutes to get second. And then we had a trio of rogues to finish out the top five. Jen Harney, our training director for Cedar Park, got third in 307. Who I think ran an amazingly tough race. When I saw her at 20, she did not look that great. And I was a little worried she was going to have a tough time making it to the finish. But damn, if she didn't keep it rolling. She had a, she had a, she kept it all together and ran really mentally tough last half of the race. She did. And I, I saw it firsthand. I ran with her for the first 14 miles. We were step for step as I was tra- helping her get off to a good start. And when I left her at 14 to, to try to begin the close, she did not look good. And I thought for sure that it was going to be a painful finish. But she ended up with a relatively even split. I think she ran about 133, 134 over the two halves. So only about a one-minute positive split, which is really impressive. And she brought home a payday. And then Nadia Tam- Tamby from Team Rogue. Dawn Patrol. Dawn Patrol. Steve's group ran a 310 to secure fourth. And Chris Kimbrough. The, the former world record holder in the beer mile and Austin fan favorite finished fifth with 311. And she would have been the first Masters runner, too. And Correct. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she, she went out pretty strong, so she <laughs> had a struggle to the finish, but still secured some prize money. So that meant four out of the top five women were all from rogue programs, which is pretty cool. And then on the men's side... Joe Thorne, formerly of Rogue AC and a former Rogue retail employee, won in a in a very very solid 132 for or sorry 232 for those conditions. He also had a pretty pretty positive split like <laughs> Allison and uh, and and was getting getting caught by the second place uh, finisher Daniel Bishop out of Salt Lake City. But he ended up holding on over the final miles. You know, it's always tough to make the decision that Joe made. I mean, he shut the door on them early on. And, uh, you know, I don't know that he had a quite the kind of respect that he needed to have for the weather. I know he had respect for the race. I got to talk to him a little bit before the race. And uh, I know he had respect for the course. But I, I, I don't know that he had quite the respect for the race. But, you know, Joe's been doing Ironmans in, lately and uh, full-distance Ironmans. And so he, he is a... He is amazingly adept at suffering and has become very good at that. And so he probably got almost everything he was looking for. He got a great training effort. He got a great race uh, effort. He got to come back to his uh, sort of a former hometown, sort of not really hometown, but, you know, he, he ran for the University of Texas and then ran with us here for a while. And he was a key member of uh, the things we were building. We've been building here at Rogue. It was really great to see him have a good day. And uh, it was really great to, um, to see him hold off. Uh, the second place finisher, but Bishop was closing for sure. He was. <laughs> I'm not sure if Bishop knew exactly how much <laughs> he was closing or not, but he probably didn't because he was, I think, over four minutes back at the halfway point, 
and may never even have seen Joe. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Joe Joe's run low two forties at the Ironman in Kona on on the marathon at the end of yep. a long bike ride. So he's he's definitely knows how to suffer. You know, the interesting story, I guess, really on the men's side of the day was him versus Mark Pinalis, who was your pick. Yes, to he was. Win, who had, this was his first marathon and came into this one as the leader in the distance challenge, the Austin distance challenge. He came through halfway about two minutes back of Joe. So Joe went out even harder. But Mark ended up DNFing about mile 16 with a hamstring issue. So he did not finish. Daniel Bishop, who wasn't even in the elite program, ended up getting second in 233. And then you had uh, some Austin fan favorites, Jared Carson, who we talked about a lot on that episode. He sort of got redemption. Yes, he did. To finish third, to get to get on the podium in 235 after his rough, uh, rough Austin of a few years ago. And then you had Rio Reyna, another former Austinite who came back to do a solid fourth. And Matt McCurdy, a relatively new Austinite, get fifth. And so, but really, Joe, you know, never really left it in doubt. I no, mean, he may, stole the show. Maybe, maybe he stole there the show. Some, there were some questions very late if he could hold up, but but really, he was never tested. You know, when I saw them at the nine mile marker, I thought Joe had been was pretty aggressive, looking at his where he had already gotten to and the way he looked. Um, and Mark looked great, but uh, you could see a little chink in the armor that Mark had as he came up the hill. I said, just you know, you've. You've got guys up there, start working on them, try to pick them off. I don't coach Mark, but uh, I get a chance to talk with him every once in a while about his running. And um, I guess, you know, when you put it out there like that, the way Joe did, it can cause doubt. And uh, I don't, although I do think it's completely authentic, the injury that, that Mark had, I do think also it doesn't help when a guy up front is just crushing. And it makes you really start to question and doubt a lot of other things. And I think perhaps if Mark had held strong and just decided to finish, depending if that hamstring could hold up, uh, he might have he might have been able to pip out a win. But, you know, we'll never know. And, and Mark right. still has to, has to still keep struggling until he gets his first marathon finish. So anybody out there... Uh, as Rio Rio Reina quoted me, uh, was very proud that he quoted me in his uh, in his post race interview, basically or post race post on Facebook. He said, "Steve Sisson's quote of the marathon always wins uh, is correct." And uh, yeah, I don't like that. That's true, but I do at least can say I can call it like I see it. Yes, and it was a humbling day, but a good one. And you know, there were still some solid results out there for those that started more conservatively and and respected those conditions but it was tough no matter what even for me as I closed strong you know the the legs started getting quivery and a little crampy at the end so it was going to be hard for anybody to to really have a really PR type day or or um kind of a really big result well and you knew it was going to be and you knew it was going to be tough you knew it had to be tough when you saw the shrapnel that just was laid to waste on the Pacers. I mean, the Pacers got yeah. crushed. And these are folks who live in Austin, train in all kinds of weather conditions. Most of them are Central Texans, if they're not actually Austinites. Um, and man, I was standing at that 20 mile marker, and I did not see a whole lot of those uh, of those those uh, held signs coming through with people <laughs> who were all together. So, uh, you know, kudos to those Pacers who did get the job done and got it got where they needed to get. Uh, I'll throw, throw a little charge out there to the Pace group since. We're sponsors of them to uh, step the game up and uh, get 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 their business taken care of and make sure that they're standing on the starting line ready to do the job if they're ready to do the job get no matter what the weather is so that's right 
Doing so, a little yeah. throw, throwing down a little smack there. Yep. So again, congrats to Joe and Allison for their wins. We also had a couple of rogues on the half marathon side. Ali Mendez, former rogue AC athlete, won the women's side of the half. And Adam Walden, who works for us on the retail side, got second in the men's half. So a couple of rogue podiums there in the half as well. And congrats to everybody who raced, who showed up, who gutted it out in those conditions, <laughs> getting a, a finish was a win for everybody, I think, on that day. So that's our Austin news. We've got one bit of other news from around the racing world and a little bit of a preview. Steve and I are planning a Boston race plan uh, discussion coming up in a few weeks. Thanks, Jim Moore, for the suggestion. On the podcast. So that'll be coming, and we'll also be talking about the elite field Again, there, but there is some news on the Boston side, which is that Shalane Flanagan has dropped out of the Boston field with a stress fracture in her back. She claims it's from running too much on the treadmill, given the snow they've had up in up in Oregon. But who knows? And so she's out, which I think will change the dynamic up front. And we'll talk more about that when we get to our Boston preview episode. So look out for that in a few weeks. All right, with that. Let's dive into our topic. As I said, we started this discussion with episode six, where we laid out a framework for mental training. Our framework is sort of based on a warrior analogy or metaphor. And so we start that with really figuring out what your battle plan is before you can understand the practical applications of those things. And in that battle plan, we've identified four components, and we're going to break those down today. The first is motivation trying to identify why you run and what you're motivated to do. The second is purpose. What are you trying to accomplish? The third is vision. How do you see that playing out? And the fourth is goal setting. How do you translate that into tangible tactical goals that you can strive for? As I said at the top of this episode, we probably have more meat even in this first bit than we can cover in in an hour. So we're going to get through about an hour, and then we'll pick this up in a future episode. So bear with us on the timing. But we're going to dive in. And and as we dive in, in addition to those four areas that we're going to talk about, we're also going to kind of bring in some key words that relate to these four areas. So, Steve, I'm going to let you tee those up as we jump in. Yeah, so as I went through this whole process trying to think through – how to frame this conversation about the battle plan or another way you could look at it is sort of look at it from the big picture, sort of the meta-meta level. You know, last week we talked about uh, a meta cycle uh, as a bigger picture than a macro cycle and a micro cycle. You can sort of look at this big picture as sort of the fundamentals, the whole vision that you have to get generally. And I kept coming back to ideas um, around three basic words. Um, I'm going to share those words with you. The first one is volition. The second one is intention, and the final one is will. And I think many people will kind of consider that these three words are remarkably similar, um, and maybe that they're actually redundant in terms of their, the point for them. But for our purposes, I'm going to make a couple fine distinctions between these three. Um, and the reason for this is, it's, even though it might seem like we're splitting hairs, is I really always like to start from the beginning as a... As, as it has been said, start at the very beginning because it's a very good play to, to start. And I think that's Mary Poppins or something like that. But um, it, it, getting a clear definition at the outset 
is always really, really important if you're trying to lay out some kind of logical or reasoned discussion. So I'm going to go over these discussion, these dis, these definitions, and then we'll show some practical applications as we go through the steps. So the first is volition, and um, you know it's sort of the way I like to look at volition. It is the decision. So it is the act of making the choice. Any athlete that's ever been coached by me, at some point in time, they've heard me say, it's just a decision. Whatever you decide to accomplish on any at any given moment, at any given day, at any given big picture, it's a decision. But most importantly and most critically from the outset, you have to make the decision. And that decision um, frequently, especially as we talk about it from the context of motivation, um, really is really is sort of before anything else you know it's like the start um and then we'll talk about a little bit about intention and that's sort of my my idea of that is right you know again it's sort of the act of taking your volition and carrying it out so the way i'm framing that is sort of the decision is taking that decision and moving it into action so it's literally taking it from a theoretical into a practical or applicable applying it and then will, which is sort of uh, got a whole lot of different meanings in the in English, especially if you think about Nietzsche and if you think about um, free will from a sort of uh, Christian or theological perspective. There's a lot of meat on the term will, but from our for our perspective, I'm sort of going to be talking about it from sort of like a consistent application of the decision or your volition into action. So. Um, basically, those definitions are going to get played out through here, and we'll, we'll reference them a little bit, but I just wanted to make sure that you all knew from the front that those are things we might discuss, and I wanted to be sure we had some definitions there, working definitions to go from. So um, step one, right? The first thing you need to do in this big picture, you've got to love the run, man. If you don't love the run, if you don't have your motivation set, and this is, again, this is volition we're talking about, sort of making the decision, you're going to have a really hard time. You're going to have a really tough time in terms of getting yourself positioned to do the things that you need to do. Um, in a way, I like to talk about this uh, as sort of the way you, you got to feel it. You know what I mean? It, it's got to be an internalized feeling thing. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little example from my own personal state of mind. Um, you know, I really have a hard time being motivated as a runner. I mean, I ran at a pretty high level. I started running when I was six, started racing when I was eight, ran at a pretty high level. And I find myself frequently um, feeling absolutely no motivation, no feeling of getting out and running. Um, and it's sort of a lot of the reason I think about that is sort of think about motivation from the perspective of most psychologists like to talk about motivation in terms of intrinsic motivation. I mean, extrinsic motivation, sort of external results and external rewards and intrinsic motivation, which is much more process. And we'll get into a little bit more about that in a little bit. But um, the most important thing is basically just to recognize that that love is very hard to create. It's not something that just comes naturally and normally to it has to come naturally or normally to people. Sorry, I got a little mixed up there. It has to come naturally and normal, normally to people because I'll give you some suggestions on how we can help create sort of motivation in a second, but but it's really difficult to sort of pull that out, you know? I mean, maybe we can even beg, it begs the question, Chris, honestly, what, what the hell even is motivation? <laughs> well, and I think I mentioned at the be in our first episode in the series that, I often talk to people that are starting a running program and I'll, and I'll ask them this question. And if they don't seem to have a reason or purpose or motivation to do running specifically, then maybe it's not for them, you know, and you have to find that reason for you because if you don't, then you should probably not waste your time. You should probably be doing something else, <laughs> especially given 
the challenges that we put people through or days like Sunday in Austin, if you don't have motivation to gut through 70 degrees and 95% humidity, then why are you doing it? For me, I go back to also to a story that's not running related. When I was in a freshman in college, I started college as a pre-med student thinking that I wanted to be a doctor. And so I took all the first year requirements for that and got through them. And then the summer after my freshman year, I went home and spent a little time with our family doctor, Dr. Bragg. And he asked me this question as I was shadowing him one day in his clinic. He said, why are you doing this? Why do you want to be a doctor? And... I looked at him and I didn't really have a good answer. I think the answer truly at the time was largely that I was a smart kid that made good grades. So people told me I should be a doctor. That was sort of the thing you did if you were a smart kid. And so he looked at me in the eyes and I'll never forget it. He's like, if you're not motivated to do this and to help people specifically in this way, then it's not worth it. And instantly I knew that I didn't want to be a doctor and it's not that I don't like to help people, but I just didn't like to necessarily, I wasn't specifically motivated to help them in that way. There was nothing intrinsic in me. All of my motivation to that point to be a doctor was actually extrinsic people telling me that's what I should do. And so suddenly without that really tangible intrinsic motivation, I realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I ended up immediately switching gears as I started my sophomore year. I took a few more of the prerequisites because I had already signed up for them, but I moved on to more of a business track and, and truly found what I was more interested in at that time. So I think it, there's a lot of corollaries in that story to running that if you're not uniquely motivated to run, then maybe you should question whether you should do it at all or whether that should be your pursuit. And then if you are, that I think it's really important to nail down all the elements of that, you know, and, and there has to be intrinsic ones, you know, it can't just be an extrinsic, you know, a lot of people come to me in my group and they'll say, well, I'm joining your group because my friend said I should, or because my spouse or partner said it would be a good idea. And maybe they join with them or they join rogue with them because they're doing it. And something that can be done together with a partner. But then if those people don't develop their own intrinsic reason for doing it, then they ultimately fall away and usually fall away pretty quickly. So you got to ask yourself that those tough questions. Why am I doing this? And what does it look like for me? And, and the extrinsic motivation works. I mean, I ran, honestly, I'm, I am, I love the idea of running, but the actual action of it doing it until I, I love the idea on the front end. And then I love it when I do it. Because I get a great response from it physiologically, uh, maybe probably because I've been doped up on endorphins for so long in my life that I have no choice but to do that. But I literally was so extrinsically motivated, initially looking for sort of love from my father, who was my coach for a long time. And then I got great response from the community of people that I was in, in my church community and, and my school community. And then as I went into high, high school, I was pretty damn good at it. So 
I could get a college scholarship and I could run at a high level. And at that point, I was really deeply into the whole running world and went to college the same way. It was I wanted to win an NCAA championship. I wanted to be a part of something bigger. But all of those reasons were all extremely extrinsic. And as soon as you took the extrinsic carrot out in front of me, right? The thing for me, it was the carrot and the stick was the only way to get me to not be negative, right? I had to know that it was going to hurt me and I wasn't going to get my goal. So the carrot and the stick are literally extrinsic motivator or in the extrinsic motivation category, both of them, whether it's positive from the carrot perspective or negative from the stick perspective, regardless, it's extrinsic. And it's useful. It's valuable. It'll get you there. I kind of also use the analogy of the proving grounds. I wanted to prove to people I was capable of something. Well, again, that's still extrinsic motivation. It will only get you so far. If you're not intrinsically motivated, you are going to have a very hard time in this incredibly difficult and absurd pastime that we are all acting in and participating in. And now as a coach, I have a lot of intrinsic motivation as a coach. I get, I get, I get, I get excited when my alarm goes off at 410 in the morning to show up, to, to, to show up in, in, uh, in Austin to get my athletes ready to go run. But for my own self, that's intrinsic motivation. I'm incredibly intrinsically motivated to help people change their lives. But for myself, the extrinsic motivation is not enough to get me to this to get me to get out the door more than two to three times a week or to stick to it no matter how talented I am and no matter how good I am it doesn't matter so to me it's really important again I, I reiterate this point that um, the thing that we're talking about here it, it it requires you to understand that process and we'll talk more about process as we go through this entire mental training program throughout this entire process that you have to be connected to Overall, a bigger reason and the doing of it needs to be reason enough, at least to start. If you don't can't start from that position, I'm sorry, but you're going to have a very hard time, number one, going through all these mental training processes that we're about to talk about. And number two, you've probably already been running into really difficult times of staying motivated. Now, one thing that's important is for those folks, and I've got a number of them who I'm coaching right now, who are not currently in a highly motivated state. That doesn't mean that you're not an intrinsically motivated person. It doesn't mean that you're that there's a sort of negative space there. It's just it happens. This is natural. We ebb and flow in our desire to push ourselves and to go after things. Almost all of those athletes, especially if they're intrinsically motivated, they walk away for a little while and they come back. I have an athlete named Julie Black I'm coaching right now. She walked away from the sport because she had to because her foot her foot was pretty much devastated and broken but she was having she went up she still ran but she would never really train never really get ready for anything because she just couldn't her foot would foot would fall apart she ran into some friends at a finish line of a race they were talking about running boston and immediately the first thing she says i've got to do this now that seems like an extrinsic motivation but no she's intrinsically motivated to push herself and she needs it and they no matter how long it intrinsically motivated athletes no matter how far they get away from it they always come back the extrinsically motivated athletes uh like myself we've got a much tougher road to hoe <laughs> well and, and both things come together i mean we know that at rogue which is you know we've learned that group training is one of the biggest ways to keep people consistent because that accountability from external training partners helps keep you in the game but what you're talking about is, is having that intrinsic motivation to make you stay with it and to give you that longevity. And I think there's a lot of young 
fast athletes like yourself that fall away from the sport because they've always done it just like I was in pre-med for being smart. They've always done it because they were good at it and because others told them they should as a result. And believe me, the carrots were really good carrots, too. Right. I mean, you got right. a lot of good College carrots scholarships there. and yes. awards and things like yes. that. So what are examples of intrinsic motivators if people are reflecting on this for themselves? So I guess, you know, the, the biggest one really is, you know, what I just call love of the sport. Like, there's something about moving through space. There's something about knowing either either... Either that's that, you know, that feeling that it gives you, I mean, there's so many different ways to describe it, but what, yeah. one is just moving through space. Another is the fact that it does give you on a daily basis in a way that no one else will ever see a reward in terms of either checking a box off for those of us who are, are uh, uh, definitely detail-oriented and like to do the box checking. For others, it's sort of that endorphin or at least that sort of me- it's the medicine that they need to take to stay balanced and to stay in a good spot. I still think that's an intrinsic motivator. I'm sure it's got a little extrinsic aspect to it, a reward aspect to it, but that's not enough to get somebody out of the bed at 4.30 in the morning to go suffer, right? No matter what that suffering is. Um, you know, I think... Another thing is sort of there's a, there's a really key way to know that you're intrinsically motivated is if the sense of accomplishment that you get from doing it is its own reward. If, that you don't need the Boston qualifier or the specific time. Um, those things are things that, as we talk about, we've got, a, we've got an entire many months of discussion about what we're going to be talking about, mm-hmm. about wanting to reach those goals but that that's not the whole reason that you're doing it. And so if that sense of sort of accomplishment at doing it for its own reason, um, that's a clear indicator of abs- of being intrinsically motivated. And I think another example I would give is some people just want to test themselves, figure out how far they can push themselves, how deep they can go. And for me, a lot of my running is motivated that way. It's like unlocking new parts of myself. doesn't really matter who I'm racing. It's it's sort of a, a personal race, you know, against your own limits. And so that's, that's something that pushes me within the sport. I think also some people do it because it connects them to nature in a way that's transcendental, so to speak. I think that's a lot of reason why my wife does it not even in sort of a hokey sort of way but she just likes to be outside and and breathing the fresh air and you know soaking in the sun and enjoying being outside and in that kind of open natural space you know you put her on a treadmill and she hates it because yeah. it takes away <laughs> that connection to her intrinsic motivation so those are a couple of other examples but it's something you have to figure out for yourself you brought up a point earlier about when people lose motivation, then what? And I think that's also an interesting thing to talk about here because I just had an athlete recently tell me I can't get motivated. And she's been training with me for a couple of years. And so whenever I see that, I always come back to these questions and I say, go back to first principles. Why are you doing this? Remind yourself of that, one. And two, do things in the sport that connects you very closely with that thing, whatever it is for you. And so this is a good exercise to go back and kind of revisit periodically 
as your motivation ebbs and flows. Yeah, and I think one of the things you're going to find as we go through these um, <clears throat> the next three steps, um, that this first step uh, is really sort of the preamble. It's sort of the uh, needed and required prerequisite to stopping to stepping down the road. I think the person that you're alluding to in that in that scenario that that she's having trouble getting back to it. We're about to talk about sort of the reason that people run. And I think that that moving from volition or sort of making a decision that they were sort of, they would not have already gone through all the things that they've gone through and been through all the struggles that they've been through if that were not already there. I think it's the next step that's crucial to them. And that's sort of what you're alluding to is going back to why you're doing it. And uh, we've got some really awesome concrete examples and ways for you for people to um, really highlight this. Uh, so I'm excited about covering that information. So let's, let's talk about it. So purpose. So we go from motivation. Why are you doing this? Understanding what really gets you going to two, your statement of purpose, how that translates into kind of moving it into action. Yeah. So, so you, you, when we talked to the first, the first step was feeling it, right? So, um, <clears throat> and the next two points are going to be about, saying it and seeing it. So all of a sudden from a feeling, which is an emotion, which is valuable and necessary and important, but it isn't a reason. It's a feeling. And a feeling is really not enough. It needs to be a critical and crucial reason. And that's where sort of the volition idea or the decision idea has been already been made. Where do you go from there? And, and, you know, I think one of the things that's really important is this is the key thing is you got to ask yourself the overall existential question, you know, that every Western philosopher for the last hundred years has been banging their head up against, which is why. Um, And, you know, especially when you consider the fact that this sport really has no uh, ulterior purpose uh, for some people, maybe there's a whole lot of easier ways to get fit than running a 10 mile run. There's a whole lot of more fun ways to get fit than running a 10-mile run. But for many of us, we need to run. And what's really crucial and essential, in my opinion, is you need to, you need to really dissect that. You need to get deep into your personal reasons for doing the thing. And, you know, one of the things that we're going to – right now we're going to go through an exercise, right? Doing this exercise, I think what you're going to discover – is that your own personal philosophy and purpose, the thing that motivates you in running, it's, it's, it's also sort of the most effective way to set goals. It's the most effective way to sort of have honest, authentic discussions with yourself about your physical training and your mental training. And it's also the very best way to sort of set yourself up for the weeks, months, and in some cases years that it's going to take to get the thing that you really, really want and get to the place that you really, really want. So, you know, what we're going to talk about here basically is what some people will call a statement of purpose. You know, those of you who are in the business world, maybe you've done a little statement of purpose. Some people, and many people who have done a GRE, who you know, had to do the GRE or the MCAT or the LSAT, you guys were, many of you were required to write a statement of purpose. Maybe even for some schools at the, at the undergraduate level, they had to actually say the statement of purpose. It's far, statement of purpose is a term that's far more used in sort of the educational realm. And mission statement is sort of the, uh, the sort of the catch term that people use in sort of the business world. Uh, I don't like mission statement statement so much, mostly because mission has a really strong connotation. I personally love the idea of mission, 
but I don't think it's super effective for this process. Also, for many people, mission statement immediately goes into a business's mission statement. And this is not that. This is not the way to sell products. This is not the way to get yourself to the finish line. This is much more subjective and much deeper. Um, so, so we're going to take people through the process of creating their own statement of purpose, at least how we would suggest going through it. And for a lot of people, that may sound like a cheesy exercise. <laughs> oh, yes. But <laughs> we encourage you to listen to this and then get out a pen and paper and go through it yourself and just see what happens. What's the worst thing that can happen is you take that piece of paper and throw it away, right? But maybe, just maybe, you'll learn something about yourself and, and give yourself a strong, stronger platform to stand on as you go into looking to set and then achieve goals. So take us through it, Steve. What do you recommend in terms of the process? How do we start? So first of all, I want to talk, just get a little foundation for how I even came up with this idea of doing this. I was really floundering with my post-collegiate training group called Rogue AC that we had for many years. And I just kept finding that we'd get down to the end of the year, get down to the biggest races. And uh, the most important training sessions, the key training sessions that they needed to have their sort of really, you know, their sort of starting line happy starting line experience, their best, their feeling that they were ready to race. And I realized that and when we got down to those final workouts and those final races, we were standing on opposite sides of, of a river. Their side of the river was wanting to get to the plate, getting the goal that they wanted, right? And I was standing there saying, I know what you want, and I'm here on the other side ready to give you what you want. But we didn't have a boat to connect this conversation with. And I ran to realize that that boat was the biggest, most existential and philosophical thing that you could possibly think about was why in the heck were they running? And in some cases, why in the heck were they on the planet? For many of them, um, this was sort of a, like the, the biggest question in the world. And once I started adding this component of each season at the beginning of the year using a state we always set goals no no good coach in the world doesn't set goals everybody sets goals goal setting is i'm not going to say it's easy it's complicated it's difficult and we're going to go through a lot about that but goals are meaningless if they're not attached to some level of purpose some meaning some reason for doing it and so once i added this statement of purpose to the process we got results that i could never have imagined while those results weren't weren't amazing necessarily on paper. We didn't have enough time with that post-collegiate group to sort of create a culture of this. We only did it for the last two years. But my ability to connect and stand on the same side of the river with my my elite athletes at the same time and to get close to the results that we wanted, I it was it was it was night and day. It was a completely different. So I'm a 100% believer. If you don't go through this process of writing a statement of purpose. Many of you'll get a lot out of the future conversations that we have about this mental training, but you will be missing the most important part. This is the most important part. You have to sit down and write a statement of purpose. I know it's going to feel weird, as Chris said. Sometimes it feels really cheesy. Um, you know, it, it. And I found that ultimately, you have the biggest thing is you have to dig deep when you and and start with the question why. So the first thing I really want you to do is. Approach your statement with the proper, in the proper way, with the proper mindset. So first of all, you need to write this statement from a perspective as if no one will ever read this statement. You need to start there. Say, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to write down on a piece of paper. And again, I'm going to tell you this in a second. I'll say it again. You need to write it with a pen and put it on paper. Don't do this 
typing it into a computer. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit too, about how you can do that, but don't do it at the outset. At the outset, consider this more of a brainstorming, and brainstorming is always done best with pen on paper. So that's the important thing. Pen on paper first, but also is look at this like it's never going to be seen by anybody. Like when you were a little kid and you were reading a book at the at the at, 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 like one o'clock in the morning because you were so infatuated. But if your mom turned on the light, you would have been you'd be no right. It's like almost being naked. You have to approach it from a vulnerability space of being naked and being willing to write this down because. Many of you, this process is scary, and we don't we don't recommend. It's not something we do consistently in our culture, but it's something that will be necessary. So just approach it um, from the standpoint of willingness to be vulnerable, and also, and the only way you can get there is to kind of think that you're only going to be doing it by yourself. Um, if you don't, it's not going to be very authentic. Um, and the best way to get the most powerful words and the most from those emotions that you're feeling about this statement, I mean, it really requires yourself to give yourself permission kind of to bear it all and to be vulnerable. Um, number two, give yourself plenty of time to do this. This is not a 30-minute exercise. This is something that you probably should take somewhere in the vicinity of, you know, two to three days, maybe seven days, up to 14 days, in some cases, maybe even 21, depending on how, how, how hard it is for you to approach this. But you've got to, while I'm saying take the time and make the time, you also have to set a due date for yourself <laughs> or it won't get done because it's scary stuff and it's easy to avoid it. So number one, give yourself plenty of time, but don't give yourself too much time, all right? And third, in this aspect of sort of approaching it and getting yourself set, make sure that you get a little bit of quiet time to do it. This is really important. Get into a space where no one's gonna, your phone's not gonna ring, turn it off, shut the door or lock it. You don't have to be in a quiet space. You just have to get into a quiet place. So you might be able to do it at your local coffee shop, but you've, it just needs to be a place where you feel like you can get some quiet time with yourself to really reflect. And the, first, the thing that you need to do then, this is the incredible power, and I know Chris, this is something you're really into, is the idea of breathing and how, what breathing does to our, our, our body sense, our corporal sense. And, and that breathing will, sort of the breath calms the heart, the heart sends information to the brain, and the heart sends more information to the brain than the brain sends back down to the rest of the body. So if you can get breathing deep, you can slow your heartbeat a little bit enough to get to the point where you're feeling that and you know where you're at, and it'll let you come and approach this from a much more creative, positive way. But it's really important to kind of get into that quieter space so that you can um, get into that into that the deepest place that you can get in this process. So that's my first recommendation. You got to approach this statement in the right way. And as a part of that, you know, we've also talked about making sure you have the right frame of mind as well as you go into it. Obviously, you want to prepare yourself physically, get calm, get into a peaceful, quiet place. But you also want to bring the right mindset. And that mindset's one more of positivity, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you can't, I mean, you can't approach why <laughs> without, uh, without kind of getting in the right mindset. So I, I think that that's... I would kind of consider that a foregone conclusion, but maybe for some of y'all it isn't. And so it is true. You need to be in sort of a positive state in order to do this. Um, but hopefully asking yourself why you're doing something that you love to do, that you're motivated to do, you should be able to quickly get into that mindset. One thing that I think is important, though, 
is the reason I'm saying to give yourself that time frame of seven days or however many, I, seven is arbitrary, but what to give yourself some time is because you will feel like a naked fool and, and you need to just get through that and recognize it's okay. Um, as Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live would say, you know, you, I like myself, you know, and it takes a while to get yourself to looking in the mirror and getting into that space. So, you know, yeah, it takes a little bit of a positive energy, but I think as you start to move through that process, if you get into a quiet place, you're going to get to where you need to get to. And as a part of this, we're about to talk about some questions that you want people to consider as they're thinking about this statement of purpose. But before we go there, I want to make sure people have in mind the outcome. And what are we driving to? And by statement of purpose, you mean a succinct, a succinct statement that basically summarizes the reasons why they run. Yeah, it's a great point. It could be a sentence, three sentences. It could be, it could be longer than that. My suggestion should be obviously at least a sentence, <laughs> and it should be limited to a page. Um, a typewritten page. Now, of course, I told you initially, let's handwrite this thing. I really want it to be handwritten. But you know, I'll be talking about gleaning through it and making sure that you get clear with some of these questions that we ask. And, and writing these questions is sort of really brainstorming, or, or maybe some of you have heard the term clustering, sort of writing a word down, right, circling it, and then making connective statements to that, and then maybe taking that clustered word and then adding to it and going through that process. You can only do that with a written with the, with the written hand. Um, but it is important to know that you want to take this, this raw material that you're going to be creating and you're going to be bringing it down into um, a relatively succinct form. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like, but it's important, yes. You're going to take it into something that you, uh, that you can look at and that you can use, that you can um, reference when you need to. Um, hopefully those feelings and those emotions and the strength of all that is there and relevant and resonant, but you do need to write it down in a way that we're going to be able to, that you're going to be able to process Use it. So with that in mind as the end goal of this statement of purpose, what are the questions you want people to consider and or jot notes on as they're reflecting on this? Number one, you, you talked about this a little bit, getting into the positive mindset, but just think about the positive feelings that running brings to you. Um, and again, we're talking meta level here. We're talking the reason that you do this. So you don't have to say, so I can get a Boston qualifier. That's, that's we're going to get there, folks. You don't have to start there. But there's something about getting a BQ that's positive to you. And what is that? So is it a, are you getting a feeling of victory there? Is it a sense of sort of contentedness and peacefulness? Um, is it the satisfaction that you set an objective work to get the objective it was difficult and you achieved it what is that write down the sort of positive connotations that you're getting or that you hope to get from achieving whatever it is that you're doing or why you're doing this running and what the purpose of it is once you've tapped into that positive feeling then sort of the next thing that you really want to do is you want to go back and think about all those key influencers and those people who you've looked at in the running world that have made this endeavor even something you're interested in. Because believe me, watching a bunch of skinny runners running around a track or rolling around on the, running around on the roads is not the sexiest thing in the world. Uh, as we were talking about Usain Bolt, there's a lot more fun and sexy in Usain Bolt than there is in running a marathon. And so you 
obviously probably have some heroine, heroes or heroines, people whose accomplishments meant something really big to you. I know there's a lot of people. It's a really cool shirt that we've had here at Rogue that's uh, f- you know, female-oriented and has it's a tank top and it says Dina, and it says Shalane, and it has uh, a number of people's names on it. Uh, another women's names on it, and and that shirt is such a cool thing because it's and it, it's it flew off our shelves. I mean, it sold out immediately because people in our community do have heroes. Think about who those heroes are and those things that they exhibit, those aspects that they exhibit. How are they resonant with you? And what things of those influences? What are those? How many of those things, or what are the aspects of those things that will make you the runner that you want to be? So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of taking the biggest picture. You're your superhero, your superheroine. In some cases, it might even be a villain. Some people are really attracted to villains. But what is the aspect in the running world that's really important because we're talking about running to make it specific to our sport? If you don't have, at this point, if you don't have anybody that you can think about that is a hero to you in the running world, take a little time and do a little research. You know, pick up the Runner's World magazine. They're talking about the latest runners all the time. Listen to our podcast. We're talking about people who inspire us and who we're excited about. I guarantee you there are real-life stories of people out there. They don't have to be the fast people. Um, There are many people who are incredibly motivated by people in their own community and overcoming challenges. You know, we've got Dory Livingston in our program here who she was in the Runner's World magazine. She's not the fastest person in the world by any stretch, but her story is resonant with many people. But she's a runner who's overcome, not someone that necessarily people would know personally, but more important, and this is really key, they have to be, they have to be a role model in a way that you can look at the attribute that they are exhibiting and see it in yourself. And then write that down and make sure it's written in a way that you can use it and that you can see it. Yep. What does it mean to you? What other questions should they be considering? Okay. Now, finally, I personally think you, you really got to get into your own personal life. Um, and this is a way that, that many people, especially the mothers in our, in our, of our listeners, they're, they're, they don't have a real hard time doing this. I think some of, the, some of the men don't, it's not as easy, but for women it really is, is who in your personal life has influenced you in your running? Um, and, and again, this is important about running, but it could be anybody. It could be a husband. It could be a child. It could be, it could be someone in your running community, but in your personal life, someone you see on a day-to-day basis, what about these people and their influences inspiring you? Um, to perform at your best and what has inspired you to run in the first place. So you sort of take that bigger picture of sort of a hero, heroine, a role model view and bring it down into the real practical aspect. And then you take all of that and you ask yourself the final question in your preparation of this and getting, and getting your raw materials together is, do you have a personal philosophy that's expressed in running? Um, you know, Chris, you talked about your wife Amy and how she might not be able to articulate that getting outdoors and being running in the conditions in, but she probably has some sort of connection to that evolutionarily, philosophically, spiritually, something about being outside and being in the weather and going through those experiences, hot and cold, windy and windy and snow and all the different experiences. What is your personal philosophy that, that you as a human being moving through space is, it is a special and important process because You've got to take the big picture, then your community picture, and then most importantly, your personal picture, put them all into a category. Now, again, we're just talking about raw material here. We're just 
We're just brainstorming. Thinking, taking notes, jotting Again, now you down. see why this is going to take us a long time to get through this entire process is there's lots of little steps. But just again, you're going to assemble the raw materials and you're going to do that um, in the methods that we just talked about. Basically looking at it from a positive perspective, what's going on in you from, from a positive perspective. Number two, you're going to look at a bigger picture, sort of superhero role model. Then you're going to take it into your personal life. Who in your life is motivating you to run and why, what, are, what are they doing and how do they exhibit attributes that you want in your running life? And finally, who are you yourself in your own personal philosophical worldview and how is running spe- especially pertinent and necessary to that process? And it's important too, as you go through this, I think, to get through a couple of layers with each one. So if, for example, you say Meb is someone who's inspired me as a runner, well, then ask yourself, why has Meb inspired you as a runner? What are the crucial, critical pieces of Meb that you are resonating with? Yes. And then in within each of those, ask yourself, why does that characteristic of Meb motivate me particularly? You've got to go a couple of layers of why into each of these to really dig underneath what's drawing you in and then once you have all those notes what do you do so now you're creating the final statement you know and uh, you want to take all your notes and you want to start working out a really important you got to work out a cohesive statement so it sort of reflects um the gist of the content that you've created so you're not going to be able to make every point again i i'm saying it's got to be less than a page um, it can, if you can make it so cohesive that it resonates in one sentence or two sentences or three sentences, more power to you, but you need, you're not going to get every point across. You're not going to give all five subsets for why Meb is an inspiration to you and how that inspires you to run. But what you can do is take some of that and, and glean something that you can write in a personal statement, right? Then you want to keep you want to make sure, again, that that is as succinct as possible. You want to avoid saying the same things in a different way. This is, this is, a, this is a, when I have all my elite athletes, I made them do this, and frequently I felt like I was an editor because I would have to go through and scratch out and scratch out and scratch out. I felt like a college professor, which I am definitely not, because um, they were just saying the same exact thing in a different way. Well, that's okay. That's good for you to know that, but find the best statement of that in order to keep it as succinct as possible. Um, and that will make it the most powerfully moving document that you can make. Um, after you've got this whole statement written out and you feel like you've got it right, right? I'm going to ask you to completely flip the script. So at the beginning and the outset, I said, write it as if no one was ever going to see it. It will never be seen by anybody. Now, after you've finished your document, I want you to stand there and look at it. And then I want you to feel like you could stand on top of a rooftop and yell it out to the entire world. <laughs> if you can't, take it from the totally personal inside and then send it out into the universe to kiss off to the whole world or tell the whole world kiss off because they don't understand where you're at. It's not an effective enough personal statement. It's not really a statement of purpose. It is still sort of a mental process. You have to then flip it and turn it. I'm not saying you've got to stand out up on a rooftop to do it. I'm saying you've got to be willing if somebody asked you to do it. So if I was your coach and I asked you to go through this process, I would ask you then to stand up in front of a group of people and share your statement of purpose with other people. If your writing is not clear enough, it's not cohesive enough, or it's not real enough for you to feel authentically connected to it, it's not going to function as a statement of purpose. You need to tear it up and start over again or to rearrange the words or figure out a way to express in an authentic, personal way. And I, and I can't 
tell you what that is. You'll know if you're willing to stand up on a rooftop and yell it to the world. That's how you'll really know if it's, in, if it's really authentic, if it's really strong. Of course, that's going to scare the living shit out of you. <laughs> that's going to make your sphincter pucker. It's going to make you get all nervous, but you still have to be willing to do it. Because remember, this is the document that's representing why you run. You can't hide it away. You can't pretend it wasn't there. And you need to be willing to share it. Um, so that's really, really crucial in terms of that final step in creating that final statement. Statement. Because I also think of it like this, which is that you want to be so connected to what you're writing that you want to share it. it that it, you've spent this time, you've invested two days, three days, seven days, 14 days honing these words that represent the inner essence of why you're deciding to move through space. If you can get that down and, and do it successfully, you should want to scream that from the rooftops. And if there's something in there that doesn't feel right, you have to ask yourself, am I writing that because it's what I want or I think others want, you know, versus myself. And so I, I think at the end, that's a bit of a test. And <laughs> in, in addition to, you know, did you get it right? You know whether you got it right because you should kind of sort of feel this overwhelming desire to want to share it, even if it is personal, because you've captured it well. Well, and there you go. I mean, that's that's why you that's why you go through the process, Chris. Right? I mean, it literally brings you to the place where you started with a scary spot. And you ended with a place where you want to share it with the world. That's real magic. Like, that's real power. In my experience of having probably 25 or 30 athletes, uh, many of them had to write statement of purpose every year for me. But I think only one time that I have someone who wasn't at the end of this process ready to stand up. And they were just a shrieking violet. They just would not. They wouldn't <laughs> have said anything to anybody. They, they were just a really shy person who probably felt all the things and I felt resonance with them and I felt authenticity with them, but they wouldn't have shared it with a group of people because that's just not their nature. But, right. but it still was very powerful for them in the ways that you just described. So some people are listening to this and they're thinking, gosh, that sounds scary. <laughs> and two, it sounds very amorphous. What is it supposed to look like? And for some of the more creative types, they're not going to have a problem just freelancing a statement of purpose, but some people might wonder what, what it should look like, what types of words should I be using that help give me a little bit of a template? You know, I mean, that's a really, that's a hard question because I really think that this, <clears throat> I think part of this process really is um, personal. And, and you know, I, I have a lot of, ex and when I get marathoners ready to run a marathon, I, we go through this process where I ask them to write mantras. I make them write three mantras for me, and they have to send them to me in the days preceding the race. And I, re I re refused to take their mantras if they're not positive. Um, but in the context of the race itself, if they come up with a negative mantra in the context of the race, I'm always like, go with it, baby. I mean, it, use whatever, use it, if, use whatever you can use. So in a sense, I think it's really important for folks to recognize it as um, really idiosyncratic, personal, and resonant. I, mean, I guess the only thing that I would say is that thing has to make them feel something strong. One thing that's really important, though, is that they should you should absolutely know and recognize that this is not a final statement. This is not the Declaration of Independence. Um, this is a living document. This document will change with time, and that's okay. 
it should reflect where you're at. People will move from um, really serious, focused, concentrated marathon running at a, at, at, at a very high level with high mileage, with really close intent to every split and every time, and then they transition into running ultra runs. Um, and they'll even come back and forth. It's okay. In those ultra running, in that ultra running world, which is much more amorphous and much more laid back and much more flexible, there are other statements of, there's going to be other words in that statement of purpose that are going to be important and necessary in order to get you to the finish line in the way that you want to get there. And so having that be a, a living document, making sure it's alive and real and that you can always come back to. As I said with my elite athletes, I made them come back and rewrite it every single year. Some of them would just pretend they did and send it to me with a comma in one place or another place changed or whatever, or maybe reflected a success or a failure that they had in the year before. But there was no substantive, real significant change. And others took it really seriously and they saw that there were that that really their their whole reason for doing it had changed a little bit and they would take the time and energy to go through the whole process over again so and i guess instead of necessarily making it what exact ways they should write it i would say feel free to do it as long as you stay in that window you need to keep it succinct um other than that dream big make it crazy do what you need to do just make sure you know it's alive and breathing and no one's grading it so that's for sure like it's not like it matters from that perspective for the more analytical people out there. I'll translate for them because this is how I would do it for myself, which is that if you think of it like a college essay and you have to answer the question, why do you run in one page, one typewritten page, that's your mission. And yeah. you can, you've got no other instructions. You can write it however you want, but one page on why you run that reflects all the thinking you've done and, in answering the questions we've talked about, that's what you're trying to accomplish with this statement of purpose. Yeah. So this, you know, as I said, it's really important to think of this as a living document. Most importantly, um, you know, it, we all need a place to come back to when things are really sucking, <laughs> when race results are not where we want them to be, when the result is not what we expected, when We've done everything perfect to line up and tee up the most amazing race result that we could possibly get, but we fail. And either the weather conspired or we, we tripped or some other external circumstance got in our way and we wonder, why am I even doing this? And at the end of the day, an effectively written and truly authentic, felt, emotionally resonant statement of purpose it's like an oasis in the desert or a safe harbor in a storm it's a place you can always come back to and say this is who i am as a runner this reflects the reason that i'm doing this and i will tell you right now there is no stronger more physically spiritually ex experientially powerful way of being in this on this earth than having that feeling um it's one that i think our western world steals from us all the time it's one that that i feel like people don't have the chance to truly be authentic and we've got this wonderful sport that strips everything bare and forces us to see ourselves straight face on buck naked and nearly all alone and this statement of purpose is a way for you to guarantee that disappointment will sh surely be a short-lived experience. So there you go. As we talked about motivation, you have to feel it 
and then with the purpose you have to be able to say it so that statement of purpose will help you be able to say and tell others why you do this we're just over an hour so we're going to stop it here we only made it halfway through our, <laughs> our battle plan with with motivation and purpose we'll come back with our next episode in the series when we get back to it on vision and goal setting and then we'll keep rolling through it however long it takes us so thank you again for listening as we said do if you haven't already listened to episode six our first episode on mental training that'll give you context for this one go back and check it out otherwise thanks for listening to this one and we'll we'll talk to you soon